Hey folks, Zach Ostman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. Across from me is Chronic Hoosier. Chronic, how are we doing? Doing well, man. Glad to have you back over. Uh, glad to see you again. I know. it's Well, we, we, we did this, what? Right, it's been a couple weeks. Right after the new year. I think we had Tyler on last week. Um, you can tell we're very organized here. Uh, at Mind Your Banners HQ. Uh, talking about Indiana, kind of the week that was, the week that will be. Very mixed bag for Indiana last week. Um, ugly loss at Penn State. Um, I think the kind of loss that felt a little bit like a a bottoming out in a way. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit hesitant to use that term because, like, you know, losing six of nine, I've seen much worse bottoms for Indiana teams. Um, and Penn State's not bad. Penn State, I mean, Penn State is is thirty eighth in the country. Um, they're twelve and six. They, they I, I don't know if they're in the NCAA tournament right now, but they've certainly got an argument for it. Um, That's beat, kind of their perpetual situation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But like, the, I mean, this team is is particularly um, particularly dangerous, basically, at what they did to Indiana, which was. Um, just bombed them from three, 18 threes is obviously a bit on the extreme end of that. But I think Indiana, you could see Indiana's plan in that game was just don't let Jalen Pickett beat us. And they didn't. They just sort of let everybody else do it instead. Um, Andrew Funk, Seth Lundy, um, you know, Cameron Winter to some extent. It was just sort of, I mean, it was a game where Indiana was playing from behind and you sort of kept feeling like the um, – the rubber band was going to break at some point, and you were just sort of waiting for it to. And when it finally did, I think Penn State scored on like eight of ten trips at one point in the second half, and it just kind of the, the you know the the roof fell in on Indiana. Yeah, it was uh, in that string of of losses, those six of nine. Um, that was kind of the uh, the low point, if you will, competitively. It seemed like after about the ten minute mark. Um, where Indiana was within a bucket or two, uh, Penn State just was able to pull out, and really Indiana never gave um, much as far as functional resistance from that point forward. I think they came out in the second half and were able to uh, to trim the margin a little bit, got it, uh, I think, within six or seven. Uh, and then Penn State just pulls back out to double digits pretty effortlessly and uh, and just rolled the victory against Indiana. Uh and it was kind of the culmination of all the frustrations uh, that had led up to that point, I think, for the Hoosiers. Um, obviously, the glaring uh, absences on the floor of Xavier Johnson, uh, of Race Thompson, and uh, that much maligned toughness that Indiana seemed to be lacking was pretty much on full display. And then it doesn't help that, you know, um, Indiana continued to turn the ball over at a pretty high clip. Uh, and Penn State just absolutely baptized them from the three-point line, and uh, that was pretty much that. So um, I think that was, at least for me, for my timelines, for my personal conversations, that was probably so far the apex of the frustration uh, of just the seemingly unanswerable questions at this point. Where does Indiana turn from here, and how do they uh, how do they right the ship when it seems to be listless and, uh, and sinking pretty fast on them, or at least taking water? And I, I thought that set up a great opportunity for them to uh, to bounce back uh, against Wisconsin, which in fact they did and did it uh, in rather resounding fashion, at least in the second half. Uh, it certainly isn't anything. Um, Indiana had been playing a whole lot of pretty basketball. 
uh, over the last month and a half. And, and that certainly was uh, high among the list of unattractive basketball. But at the end of the day, it was winning basketball. It was a, it was a competitive game for Indiana. And uh, I think more than anything for a lot of Hoosier fans, that was the one thing that they absolutely needed to see and were, were pining for at this point was a little bit of fight, a little bit of focus, and uh, uh, you know a little bit of competitiveness. Uh, and Indiana w- was able to do it. Uh, and we'll see if it, if it holds now. Um, but at least they've seen that they're not completely dead yet, that it's not uh, one of those situations where it's the bottom's completely fallen out and there's no way you're putting the wheels back on. The funny thing about those uh, those types of momentum, though, is it can disappear just as quickly as it reemerges. So uh, waiting to see what the real Indiana team is. Maybe this is the real Indiana team. They're just going to um, fluctuate wildly uh, from game to game, competitor to competitor. Um, we'll see. Still a lot of basketball to be played left, but just as many questions now as there were perhaps at the beginning of the season for Indiana. I think that, that Penn State game, I mean, it is worth just sort of talking about whether people want to or not, the, the ugliness of it. They allowed 1.31 points per possession. Uh, Penn State actually hit more threes than twos. 19 assists on 32 made baskets. Indian only turned Penn State over seven times. Now, Penn State doesn't turn the ball over that often. Um, which, One of the best in the country, if well, I'm not it's, mistaken. It, which you, you don't when you don't drive the ball a lot. You don't put the ball inside a lot. You, you just keep it around the perimeter. Um, but it, it did feel very much like a game where number one, it should be said, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. Um, a game where Indiana really missed race Thompson and in particular Xavier Johnson defensively, but also a game where Indiana's, it felt like for better or worse, Indiana's sort of plan just didn't have, didn't have a lot of wiggle room to it. Again, it was that there was so much help off shooters. Um, a lot of it, felt in real time like it was on Jalen Pickett. It was it was help on Jalen Pickett when he started getting downhill. And the problem is that at some point you you had to recognize other guys were hitting shots and that it wasn't it wasn't going to be a night where you could count on Penn State. And they've had one or two, to be fair, of these games this year, even at home, where, you know, they just I mean like they lost to Michigan State at home. They hit eight of twenty seven threes. Um, you know, they lost to Michigan on the road. They hit nine of 28. They lost to Purdue at home. They hit eight of 22. Like they're not an elite three point shooting team all the time. Now the flip side is they were 12 of 24 at Illinois, so they can do it. You know, they, they were 10 of 24 against Butler. They can do it and they can do it both home and on the road, but it felt like Indiana's plan hinged a little bit too much on just sort of hoping that not enough of those guys would find their shooting rhythm in one given night and without, in particular, again, your best perimeter defender and maybe Jalen Huchifino not playing at what we would suggest is his best. Um, Indiana just didn't have a lot of adjustments it could make. Well, and it, it didn't leave itself a lot of outs, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I think it was a little alarming uh, once you saw Seth Luddy starting to heat up, once you saw Andrew Funk starting to heat up, and both those guys went seven for 12 each respectively from, from the three-point line in that game. Uh, understand that you are, you know, you're primarily focusing on picket, but when a guy gets hot like that, th- there comes a time in the course of a game where I don't care what the game plan is, you have to recognize who's on fire and you have to find a way to stay on them. 
and in, in spite of the obviousness of uh, of the predicament Indiana was finding itself in as they started to get really, really hot from from three, Indiana just continued to peel off shooters and help and uh, leave guys wide open. And it was just – it was quite honestly a shooting gallery where Indiana was the uh, the unfortunate recis- or recipient of, uh, of just honestly a beatdown. But um, I felt like that was one game where Indiana just looked like – to a man on the floor, uh, as well as on the bench, they were just out of answers. Uh, they just didn't know how to respond at that point. And, uh, you know, pretty listless effort on the defensive end, uh, that just really put them in a position where they never really competed, uh, meaningfully in that game, uh, when the minutes mattered. And that was pretty much from 10 minutes in the first on. So, uh, it also was one of those games where I felt like Indiana, well, they've got a lot of upperclassmen. Um, the absence uh, of races and Xavier and the leadership that they, they generally provided was pretty glaring in, in, that, uh, in that matchup as well, where Penn State uh, rolls out a lot of experienced guys. Um, you know, they do a great job of not making um, losing plays, you know, whether it be turnovers, um, their effort was what you would expect from a team that plays mostly seniors. And, uh, you know, in a home Big Ten game, that's the type of fight Indiana's going to see virtually every single time it trots out on an away court and just did not look like they were in any way, shape, or form really prepared for the challenge in that one. Talking about the two guys that are missing, and, and you know, people always sort of want to hear injuries and say, oh, that's just an excuse. And, I think it can become an excuse if, if coaches lean too hard into it. But I think the flip side is, you know, when, when you've got two guys out that if you include this season have a combined 11 years of college basketball on their resume, you can't just dismiss that. You can't yeah. just say that that doesn't count, essentially. Um, in particular, I think in that game and, and possibly just in general, although certainly Race Thompson was, was probably more – impactful of a loss in the Iowa game, given what Chris Murray did to Indiana once race Thompson was out. Um, Hooplands website, Hooplands has a a couple of really helpful um, numbers. What they do is they break down by player, like team performance when that player is on the floor. And so they, they they can kind of break apart when you're on the floor versus when you're not on the floor. Um, Opponents are averaging, 0.87 0.87 points per possession when Xavier Johnson's on the floor. That is far and away the best number for any, let's say, regular – if we can back up to the beginning of the season when everybody's healthy and say this is the this is sort of the, the regular nine-man rotation, far and away the best number. Um, the only meaningful sort of rotation contributors ahead of him – in that number would be C.J. Gunn, who's played 230 possessions. And if you want to argue this, Logan Duncan, because he's had some moments, I think, this year, who's played 112 defensive possessions. But compared to them, Xavier Johnson's played 512 defensive possessions. Even if you threw Caleb Banks, who's also in that group in there, collectively they would not have played as many defensive possessions as Xavier Johnson has. So when we talk about sample size, you know, almost nobody who has – you know, other than the guys who've been healthy all year, has a substantially larger sample size. And Xavier Johnson is the best in terms of how often opponents are scoring on a per 100 possessions basis 
when he's on the floor. The same is roughly true for effective field goal percentage. So the the only players ahead of him, again, uh, of any meaningful sort of possession usage are those three, Duncan, Banks, and Gunn. Gunn has come into the rotation recently because of these injuries. The other two have largely kind of been on the periphery of those. Excuse me. Xavier Johnson opponents have an effective field goal percentage of 45.4% when he's on the floor. If people don't know really fast, effective field goal percentage is basically your twos and your threes, but then you, you, you give a, you give a team 1.5 makes per made three pointer. If cause they're worth 50% because, more points threes, than the two. Exactly. So basically if you, sh- if you shoot six of 10, that's 60%. But if two of those, if three of those six are threes, then you get an extra, what 1.5. So that's 75%. The idea being as, as chronic said, three of your shots were worth literally worth more points. So when we use effective field goal percentage, if you don't know what that is, I'm sure many of you do, but if you don't know what that is, that's what it means. And nobody, I mean, like the next closest starter is over two percentage points higher, and that's that's Jalen hood Shafino at 47.6%. Race Thompson, I think, you know, some of his numbers here are, are, are tough as well, are tough to replace as well. I think the other thing that's tough to replace with Race Thompson, and this is going to come up when we talk about Illinois, he is Indiana's best sort of, you know, hybrid defender. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I mean, again, Chris Murray had seven points when Race Thompson left the Iowa game. He ended with 30. You're going to face Terrence Shannon this weekend or this this Thursday. Who guards Terrence Shannon? I'm really not sure. You may luck out of not having to face Malik Hall. It's not really clear where his – I mean, it, it doesn't sound like he's going to play, but Tom Izzo was like, oh, he's, we have no idea when it'll be. Oh, now it looks better. Um, the point is with with – Race Thompson, some of this stuff is a little bit less quantifiable because he's not a pressure defender the way that Xavier Johnson is, but he is this team's most capable cover of that sort of hybrid wing player that can cause a team that wants to play defense the way Indiana wants to play defense the most trouble. And losing those two guys, it just, you know, again, you can say, well, that's an excuse, but it's been it's been a real issue for this team because you don't just replace that. You don't replace that experience. You don't replace that talent and you don't replace that impact. You know, for all the, uh, for all the talk and frustration surrounding Indiana's um, regressive defense this season um, and how it's particularly struggled here in in the last several weeks uh, leading up to the Wisconsin game, at least, I don't think you can overstate how important race has been uh, in this team's ability to switch uh, on, on defensive screens, uh, how much more effective Indiana's defense is. Um, he's pretty good for a guy of his size, uh, moving laterally, um, guarding some smaller guys. Uh, I think Trey Galloway does a pretty good job as far as his defensive versatility as well. Um, but obviously, race brings a different bag, uh, both offensively and defensively than, than Trey does. And, uh, that combined with Xavier Johnson not being out there at the top, uh, I, I think Indiana was was pretty lost for a while trying to figure out exactly who the guy's going to be. Um, but the, the net result was Indiana has spent way, way, way too much time in transition here, um, getting broken down, and you know ultimately uh, the ball's been able to find the uh, the open man against them pretty effectively. And I think Penn State was a was a perfect example of, of how that's worked against Indiana. So I don't think you can overstate how, how important those absences are. Uh, but at the same time, as Mike Woodson's uh, repeatedly said in, in talking with the media, um, 
it is what it is, and guys are going to have to figure it out. I mean, somebody's still got to take that defensive assignment. Somebody's still got to take those minutes. And, uh, you know, while we've seen some pretty impressive uh, play from a lot of Indiana supporting cast, uh, now the question just becomes who can do it most consistently uh, and who can do it at, at what level, or at least how much more can they elevate their level in order to uh, – to really rise to the challenge that's ahead. Because as we discussed, I think in our last time together, um, Indiana is about that point where the degree of difficulty starts to get significantly uh, tougher going forward in conference play. Um, Wisconsin obviously is a good bounce back for Indiana. Um, it's worth saying Wisconsin then goes and beats Penn State at home. That That's just kind of the MO of the Big Ten this year. I saw we've already – completed the 14-team circle of basically you can connect everyone to having beaten everyone else, um, that everyone's beaten somebody that's beaten somebody else, and we can make a virtuous circle, and it's not even February yet. Um, But I think what's encouraging about Wisconsin as much as anything um, is you got one of those other players to step up. Like Jalen Hujafino can't give you a lot more. um, than he. I I don't think he played well at Penn State, but I don't think anybody did. Um, obviously he had an insane week the week before that was picked in freshman of the week and justifiably. So trace Jackson Davis, you know, wherever his back is, you know, you're going to get 18 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, five blocks. And that Wisconsin game. Again, he can't give you much more. You need somebody else. And I think this was, this game was an illustration of essentially, you know, if Jordan Geronimo and Trey Galloway, can combine for 20 points and 16 rebounds in a game, that may be enough. You know, a lot of nights. Maybe not every night, but a lot of nights. And I think um, there were ways in which Wisconsin was a good matchup for Indiana. They weren't going to pressure Indiana's defensive sort of rotations as much. Obviously, they didn't have Tyler Wall. Indiana should have no real, you know, should have no real sympathy for that. Indiana didn't have its two starters. Um, they did miss some open threes, or at least you'd say semi-open threes. Um, but I thought the defensive effort was a hell of a lot better for Indiana. I thought it was palpable. Like, Assembly Hall was very, very happy to be going in up 21-20 to because I think Assembly Hall just wanted to see the defensive effort and the defensive work rate return after the Penn State game. But there was also a sense, not just because of the points and rebounds, but because of what they represented. You know, Jordan Geronimo with five offensive rebounds in a low possession game. That's a big deal. When, when, when possessions are at a premium, getting five of them, you know, five extras, being able to give your team five extras and what ultimately I can find it while we're talking. Um, Indiana, I mean, to, to, well, now your internet's going slow. So I'll just keep talking. Um, my point is, it's it's both the points it's both what you can you know statistically sort of quantify and it's also what some of those stats mean in terms of being able to hold it up hold up a, a you know a final book to your team and say 62 possessions Jordan Geronimo got us five of those just with offensive rebounding effort this is what it's got to look like to some extent for Indiana until it can get healthy again. And this may not be enough to beat everybody on their schedule, it should be said. But you only had six guys scoring that game for the Hoosiers. But it it can be enough to keep you afloat. 
and keep you pushing forward when obviously when you lost six and nine, it looked like things were really starting to, to spin in a, in a bad direction. No, absolutely. Um, the work rate for the Hoosiers, uh, the connectedness for Indiana that game, uh, I think is what stood out the most to me. And it was it was set up nicely for Indiana. I don't know that you could have asked for a, a better matchup at that particular time, at that juncture um, in the team schedule. Uh, home game, really, really rowdy crowd. Uh, Wisconsin kind of providing a great foil for Indiana in those efforts in as much as they're not – they're not the type of team that's going to, you know, run your doors off with athleticism. Um, they are, you know, a little bit down, I would say, from the Wisconsin that's really uh, um, kind of plagued Indiana over the last two decades from what, what Indiana is used to facing against them. And obviously – They needed to play like – they needed to play very slowly. I mean, like 24% of their possessions go through Stephen Crowell, which means that 24% of their possessions are post-up, feed – move around and that's where they miss Tyler Wall a little bit but again Indiana has no sympathy for that I understand why they don't the point is it's not a team that's going to spread you and stretch you and and when you're a defense that wants to pressure the ball hard and protect the rim well then the 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 thing that's going to be hardest is well can you pressure the ball when it's four out and the ball's zipping around the perimeter but you still need to hold to your rim your rim protecting uh, principles Wisconsin wasn't going to do that yeah, and you know Indiana did a, a pretty good job uh, of taking care of the basketball that game. Uh, something that's absolutely been uh, been the uh, the undoing of them uh, repeatedly in some of those losses here in the last month, uh, month and a half. Uh, I think that slower tempo definitely gave them a chance to kind of get into gear and and achieve a speed of their liking. You know, knowing with, that Wisconsin's going to be really, really deliberate and kind of slogging throughout it, uh, picking their spots. Um, but I think it all started honestly uh, with Trace inside, as well as the uh, the team as a whole, and their uh, their ability to get the ball inside out, get it moving, get him going early on, and uh, and really get him established. And then obviously, you know, the first half was <laughs> some of the uh, how do you say the least entertaining basketball perhaps Indiana's played. Um, but at the end of the day, you know that's the type of game you're getting when you face Wisconsin. And, you know, if those are the rules of engagement, you better figure out a way. It's kind of like playing Virginia. And uh, as as unattractive as it was, uh, I, I think you felt it in the hole when Indiana went into the half uh, with the one-point lead. Uh, they had passed the test. And then, most importantly, they came out in the second and figured out, you know, this is this is what they had, this is what they were working against, and this is how they can exploit it. And they really pushed the game to a tempo that I think best suited them, uh, and, and the score showed. But I think a big part of that um, was honestly just them doing what they were supposed to do without shooting themselves in the foot along the way. Uh, dominating the glass, taking care of the basketball, not creating turnovers, especially backcourt turnovers, leading to those runouts where you never get a chance to set the defense. Um, I, I think that's going to be critical for Indiana to uh, to take as a key lesson going forward that they're going to be competitive in a lot of games uh, when they can compete on the glass, when they don't turn the ball over. And we didn't get a lot of whistles in that game, but going 80% from the free throw line never hurts either. Yeah, I mean, it was – I mean, listen, I don't really want this to devolve into a conversation about, about Big Ten officiating. Um I need whiskey if we're going to have that talk, yeah, I mean, and a lot of it. That's a podcast unto itself. Um, you know, other than maybe just saying, like, punishing slaps on Jalen Huntsifino's wrists while you're encouraging Stephen Crowell and Trace Jackson Davis to actually fist fight in the paint is, is maybe not the basketball everybody would like to see Saturday after Saturday. But 
Um, did we ever get an answer from the Big Ten on how you can get elbowed in the face and the foul is actually on you? Was that ever discussed? When was that? Uh, was that Wisconsin or was that Penn State? Fino took one square in the face. Um, well, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I know what you're talking about. No, I, I mean, I didn't ask the, I I ask the Big Penn Ten about State. the Iowa Yeah, yeah, they, thing they rescinded and, Tech. And there was... They've got lots of explaining to do, in my yeah, estimation. It's not. It's not been a very good year um, for league officiating, and, and as far as I know, there's still not a head of league officiating. Though there is a new head of Big Ten men's basketball, and that's probably part of the reason why the pieces are still falling into place. Is there a head of the Big Ten yet? I haven't been following. Oh, that, that, yeah, that's a that's a, again a separate Big Ten needs a lot of heads. But, um, the other part of this, I, I think, is just the defensive effort, just in general. Like I don't, I don't want to cast a blanket over everything, but again. It was palpable to me anyway, sitting on what J.D. Campbell affectionately refers to as Fisher Row um, there at center court. How little... The table with the view. Both the crowd and to some extent the team on the floor really just honed in on defense in the first half. Like there was, there was never... There was never a sense from the crowd that they were getting restless about Indiana not scoring points early. And there was never a sense from their their effort or their performance um, that Indiana as a team was getting nervous about not scoring early. It, everyone seemed just sort of like completely trained on the defensive effort and the defensive end of the floor and the importance of, of the impact in those areas. And I think that... Um, well, again, I, I don't know that this defensive performance is is sort of overlayable onto every Big Ten team uh, or even most Big Ten teams. I think that the combination of sort of the the effort and the execution and then also the energy it feeds off the crowd, when you consider, and this is simplistic, but I mentioned this, I did the Moving Screen podcast with Dylan Burkhart yesterday. Um, it, it's... You know, in our world of wanting to break everything down into hyper analytical terms, this is a pretty simple thing to bring up. Indiana's got a lot of weekend home games left. Mm-hmm. Last year, Indiana played its last weekend home game on when was that? February fifth. It was the it was the loss to Illinois yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, happy birthday to me, by the way. Um, they didn't play a weekend home game again the rest of the year. So basically, the entire month of February. After the first Saturday of the month, they did not play a weekend home game the whole rest of the year. This year, Wisconsin's at home on a week. Obviously, they, they spoiled the Northwestern game. I, I don't dispute that. But Wisconsin's at home. Michigan State's at home. Ohio State's at home. Purdue's at home. Illinois's at home. Michigan's at home. All of those Saturdays or Sundays, when you can count on bigger student turnout, bigger Indianapolis bigger, shows up, bigger in full travel force. fan turnout. Yep. Um, people can schedule their entire day around the game if you've given them a reason to. And what I think is replicable, that's the word, from this Wisconsin defensive performance, which, I mean, Wisconsin shoots shoots 40.6% on twos, 20.8% on threes, um, an offensive rebounding percentage under 20. Um, Didn't turn the ball over a lot because Wisconsin never does. But 0.71 points per possession per Ken Pomeroy. 
Um, per the the box, it was a little bit higher, 0.75. Pomeroy, I think, adjusts his numbers a little bit. But that is an excellent, excellent offensive performance against, again, it should be said, a Wisconsin team that had averaged at least one point per possession in one, two, three, four, five, six of its six of its other seven games in its last eight. The only game in its last eight, the only game in its last eight where Wisconsin was under a point per possession was a win at Minnesota, win at home against Minnesota. If the combination of Indiana executing that way and Assembly Hall feeding that that way can be replicated, then I think Indiana's gonna got a chance to at at minimum win some important home games here and possibly give itself something to build on as we move through the back half of January and into February. You know, if you could just replicate having the 12th uh, most efficient offense in the Big Ten every time you play at home, I think they, they would probably do better than not uh, over the course of the season. That's one of the reasons I said I felt like that was the perfect moment for the, or the perfect opponent for that moment um, in Wisconsin. Um, just because, quite frankly, Wisconsin's not that offensively powerful. Uh, but all that said, and I, I do think you were spot on um, when you talk about the way the crowd responded. Um, Indiana fans are always going to recognize a defensive effort when you're, you know, only allowing 32% from the floor, 20% from from three point, and you know, if they want to miss seven out of 11 uh, free throws, that's just icing on the cake uh, for an opponent visiting Assembly Hall. So. Um, I think when Indiana, I don't know that we'll ever, you know, that's probably my guess. That's probably going to be um, the best output that you see from Indiana going forward in the in for the rest of the conference. Maybe with the exception being the uh, the Minnesota game, uh, we'll see how well they can defend them. Uh, all that said, though, um, while that may be the high water mark defensively, at least now they have the tape uh, where they can show those guys when you do this, good things happen. Now the problem is. Uh, the schedule is going to hold a whole lot more athleticism than perhaps what Wisconsin offered. Um, you're going to see a lot more potent front courts and back courts uh, and the challenges that those will both bring for Indiana. Um, but I, I do think coming off of a three-game skid, uh, as Indiana was heading into that game, it was just imperative to put something good on film uh, for those guys to see. Because there comes a point where when all you do is, you know... And something something repeatable. Not like you went out and hit 18 threes. Right, right, like, right, like right. It wasn't like, oh, you won the game, but you did it in a way... Jordan Geronimo had 25 and 18, and I think Geronimo can be better than he's played at times. But you're also not going to look at him and say, hey, give us 20 and 10 every game. Yeah. It's, it's something that they can take and say, we can do this again. Well, and I, I think, you know, when you look specifically at Geronimo, I think when you look at uh, Malik... You know, those are guys, no differently than Xavier Johnson, his first, uh, you know, basically the first quarter of his career, uh, quarter plus of his career so far at Indiana. He had to figure out how to hone that edge so that he was giving maximum effort while still playing under control. And we have seen, you know, that's that's an ongoing battle, uh, or had been at least for Xavier Johnson, as, as we've discussed, you know, ad nauseum. Uh, but you have to recognize that's a senior, you know, a super senior, basically, that's going through those those struggles. You've got guys like Geronimo. You've got guys like Renew, uh, Tamar Bates, C.J. Gunn. You know, there's a lot of youth on this team that has to figure that out. How do you ratchet up the intensity and the effort uh, while still regaining control and focus uh, so that you're not committing fouls, so that you're staying available when your team needs you? 
and uh, I thought this was a great opportunity uh, seized by, by especially Jordan Geronimo in keeping himself on the floor, keeping himself effective, and really leveraging what he does without, uh, without crossing that line. Uh, Renew still, you know, didn't get a ton of minutes. I think he played 14, still racked up uh, three personal fouls. Um, that's going to be an ongoing battle for him. And as we've seen, you know, the way the uh, Big Ten officiates the paint versus uh, around the perimeter are like two completely different sports at times, even half to half uh, within the same game. Uh, I still don't know how, how they call fouls. I can't imagine what it's like to be in the mix of it uh, with those young eyes looking at it. But nevertheless, I, I think it's imperative and it was, was critically important for those guys to get one under their belt, uh, just showing, you know, this is where it has to be. And I think that's what uh, the, the challenge Woodson had put, uh, they acknowledged to Geronimo directly, is you have got to give this team more if we're going to have a fight and chance. And he was able to answer the bell. Now, as we discussed, I think last week as well, uh, it's not just what you can do well, it's how well can you repeat it. And uh, I, I think that's going to be the ongoing challenge for the Hoosiers going forward, especially as you, uh, you talk about this in improved defense. Now let's see it travel. Uh, now let's see it uh, perform close to that level when you don't have 17 plus thousand fans, you know, egging you on every time you get on the floor, get a, a deflection, get a rebound. Um, that's going to be the next true challenge for Indiana because having dropped, uh, you know, having dropped a home game in conference, you've got to figure out a way now to go out and steal probably two more on the road to make up for that uh, if you want to get yourself back in the hunt. Let's talk about. Um these games coming up this week, Illinois first. Um, I think obviously game Indiana is going to be, as you would imagine, um, is, is going to be the underdog in, um, an Illinois team that has in, in true sort of big 10, 2023 fashion really turned itself around. Um, Illinois looked like one of the, the best teams in the league beating UCLA, holding Virginia, you know, taking Virginia all the way to the wire. Um, beating Texas in the non-conference, but then they started 0-3 in the conference with the losses being to Maryland, Penn State, and Northwestern. They've won three in a row since, um, and relatively convincingly, it should be said, they beat Wisconsin by 10, Nebraska by 26, Michigan State at home by 9, and then Minnesota on the road by 18. Um, a team that does look a little bit more sort of Brad Underwood than, than what Illinois has been. You know, We've talked a fair bit about this, but Illinois in the last – two or three years has been very Kofi based, mm-hmm. um, which meant that Illinois could not play the sort of like up and down style is such an oversimplification, but could not play with some of the energy and the aggression that Brad Underwood's best teams tend to play with. This team is a little bit more that turns the ball over more often, but it also turns opponents over more often. Um, it is uh, probably a little bit more susceptible then Illinois has been at times on the defensive glass or on the, however you want to say that Illinois defensive glass opponents, offensive glass, but it is also very, very good borderline elite on the offensive glass itself. Um, it's, it still scores twos at a remarkable rate. Um, thanks to, and I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but thanks to Dane Danja, um, it is still protecting the rim very well. Um, Danja has the fifth best block rate in the Big Ten in league games alone. They can test um, the ball or shots about as well as Indiana does. I mean, they are – opponents are shooting 42.7% on twos against Illinois. That is ninth in the country. For reference, because Indiana's interior defense has been very good this year too, Indiana's 36th, 45.3%. So Indiana's been very good. Illinois has been even better. 
They've got the 10th best block rate in the country. If you overlay that into the Big Ten, they are second in the league in opponent two-point percentage. They are first in the league in opponent block percentage. Again, to give you a sense, because Indiana is very good at those things too, Indiana's ninth in the league in opponent two-point percentage, which reflects some of their, their defensive struggles early on. They are third in the league in opponent block percentage. There is an extent to which, I mean, number one, how do you cover Terrence Shannon? That that's the first unless unless Race Thompson has made some miraculous recovery that none of us are aware of. He hasn't, and 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 he's playing. And I have no information on this. He's, he's, he's fully healthy, he and he's playing Thursday night. Terrence Shannon averages seventeen point six, five point seven, three point two. He only hits about thirty two percent of his threes, but that's still a, a that's still in his bag. Um, You've got to respect it. He's going to play a lot. He plays thirty one point three minutes a game. So he's not even a player that you can hope. Well, maybe he you know gets into foul trouble or something. He does not get fouled. He draws a ton of fouls, six and a half per forty minutes. My point is, Terrence Shannon is a real problem. And if you are Indiana, the first question you ask is, how do you cover Terrence Shannon? The second question you ask is, basically, can you leverage some of Illinois' weaknesses without? exposing yourself to their strengths. And that is the danger of teams that play this way that are very athletic, that will, you know, will open it up on you a little bit, will pressure you hard. Yes, they might commit a few turnovers. You might be able to get a few runouts. But can you get that stuff without giving them the advantage back in return? I think that's Indiana's challenge here. One question, Lee, and I, I think the uh, the particular challenge with Terrence Shannon is uh, – He's such a handful, but he can take you. Um, he can take you off the dribble. He can get Indiana into rotation quite easily. Um, he can post up at the high block. Uh, really curious how Indiana chooses to uh, to switch, um, because you know we've reached the point in the Big Ten season where no sooner than you uh, you put a play in, the defense is calling your play out because they know it like the back of their hand at this point. Um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how Indiana manages that. Uh, because as, as we've seen, uh, at least up to the Wisconsin game, um, Indiana has a, a lot of defensive liabilities now um, without X and without uh, Race Thompson out there. Uh, you've seen Miller Cop get absolutely picked on. Uh, you've seen the entire backcourt, for that matter, uh, just get destroyed on high screens and, and letting offenses get downhill way too easy. I think that's a big part of Indiana's uh, – uh, unusually high two-point percentage allowed in the Big Ten Conference right now as so many guys are getting in the lane with such ease. And uh, Terrence Shannon's one of those guys that can do pretty much anything he wants against you. Um, so not sure how Indiana chooses to do that. My guess is it's going to be uh, by committee at first or throughout the course. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if you see Trey Galloway get a crack at it early on. Uh, I don't know that you necessarily want to put Fino in a position to uh, – to get a lot of fouls on them. Um, but one thing we've seen with Indiana, um, at some point you're going to have to to succumb to getting a couple of whistles and you just got to get under, uh, you know, under the guy's jersey and you got to get into his body a little bit and take away the space. And at times, especially uh, as Indiana's figuring out how to play with these absences in the roster, uh, I felt like they've been maybe a little bit too apprehensive about getting real aggressive, perhaps for fear uh, of catching some early whistles because, you know, Woodson's pretty uh, – pretty hard and fast with uh with how he's going to sit guys when they start amassing fouls um 
you know, perhaps no more so than Trace. But I think when you look at the Wisconsin game, you got to have Trace's energy. Uh, you got to have Geronimo's energy um, defensively early in order to kind of set the tone. And and with that comes the risk of getting some of the uh, the fouls that Big Ten refs love to call early on that are just inexplicable from, from minute to minute, half to half. So uh, not sure how Indiana handles it, but they've certainly got their work cut out for them uh, against this Illinois offense. The other game this week, uh, Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State, a team that is kind of now doing this thing we've all been doing in the Big Ten, which is like winning a few in a row and then losing a few in a row. Um, they lost to Illinois. They lost to Purdue by one point. That was a good game on, on Monday. Great game. Um, another one that, that maybe was a little bit watered down by, shall we say, uh, the piano keys on uh, in a triangular formation around the floor um they've got Rutgers at home that's a tough game they've got Indiana on the road that's a tough game they've got Iowa at home that's a tough game they've got Purdue on the road that's a tough game they play Rutgers where do they play Rutgers they're playing them at the Prudential oh they're playing them at the Garden see Indiana needs to get on these games like when what like I want to cover IU Penn State at the Palestra I dad I was just gonna say like, that come on let's who needs sorry sorry Moose sorry Elwood I was like whoa we got the interns upset like, whoa 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 the Palestra what he's all um, about it point is Michigan State for a, for a time justifiably looked like Purdue's best competition in the Big Ten um, they started four and one they beat Michigan they beat Wisconsin on the road and now they've got the the injury to Malik Hall who I think was you know I mean it, it wasn't like Malik Hall was pulling up trees but he was he was important because he is very much sort of the 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 like Michigan State's kind of got some serviceable bigs, some guys that can hit shots, and a couple of really good guards. Malik Hall was kind of the X factor for them, if you want to say. Um, it does not seem Tom Izzo always has a stable of junior senior guys, six nine, six ten, two forty five, that are just absolute handfuls. Yeah, well, Tom Izzo also likes to be a little dramatic sometimes, and he acted like Malik Hall's season was over, and then like. 48 hours later, he said, there's light at the end of the tunnel, which we thought the tunnel was closed. Um, you know, it, 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 does that mean Malik Hall is going to play Sunday? I would be surprised. Um, but it, it, I guess you can't rule it out based on suddenly Izzo acting like, oh my God, it's over. It's done. No, wait, maybe it's not. The point is you're going to get a Michigan state team that is in a, at this point, Probably a similar situation mentally to Indiana in that it's going to feel a little bit like it's kind of fighting just to keep its head above water. Again, I repeat this this next stretch, Rutgers at home, Indiana away, Iowa at home, Purdue away, Rutgers at the Garden. Like that, those five games, you know, Michigan State could easily go one and four in those five games and come out the other side of them five and seven in the league and 13 and 10 overall. Um on the one hand, I would look at the matchups and say that's a game Indiana should be able to win, particularly if they play as well as they did over the weekend against Wisconsin. Michigan State doesn't have a natural matchup for Trace Jackson Davis. Um, I think Indiana's got the guards, even without Xavier Johnson, to sort of go toe-to-toe with Michigan State's guards. And if Malik Hall doesn't play, that simplifies your game plan substantially. Um, on the other hand, obviously it's Tom Izzo. And you can't rule that out. And it's also a Michigan State team that I think is going to be feeling a little bit like 
if we just claw for every game, we take what we get out of this next stretch and see if we can't get a little healthier going into February. I think Michigan State's one of those games. Um, we're kind of like Wisconsin. You're, you're not necessarily running up against the offensive firepower uh, that you see around the Big Ten. Um, the added degree of difficulty in this game, they play some really good defense. Uh, leading the Big Ten in uh, effective field goal defense right now. Uh, leading the Big Ten in uh, defensive rebounding. Um, leading the Big Ten in opponent three-point percentage. Uh, Michigan State, in typical Tom Izzo fashion, is going to get up in your grill and they're going to make things really difficult. Um, how Indiana responds to that, uh, I think particularly Indiana's backcourt, um, how easily they're able to get into their action offensively is going to be a, is going to be a challenge for Indiana. Um, glad to see this one coming at, at Assembly Hall because, like you said, on a weekend, uh, I, I think it positions them well for one of these games against a team that has, uh, you know, historically here at least for the last couple of decades, been a monumentous thorn in Indiana's backside, uh, and one of those opportunities not only to get a win in conference but maybe excise some demons in the process. Uh, and this is a team right now that's certainly poised to take any of those opportunities they can uh, as they try to get some. Because like Michigan State, you know, they find themselves way further back in the Big Ten standings than I think anybody imagined they would be at this point. Um, and recognizing the peril ahead, uh, you start dropping home games like this one, and all of a sudden you keep sliding further and backward in the standings with less and less opportunities to really elevate your, your, your situation. So um, Michigan state though is kind of in the same, same boat as you mentioned. And uh, I think those teams and especially those coaching staffs are probably pretty acutely aware of what's at stake right now, even though we're still in mid January, this stretch and we'll finish this finish on this, this stretch for Indiana feels equally important. Illinois away, Michigan State at home, Minnesota away, Ohio State at home, Maryland away, Purdue at home, Rutgers at home. That takes you up through February 7th. Then four of your last seven are on the road, just to give people a a sense for it. Four of your last seven are on the road, Michigan away, Northwestern away, Illinois at home, Michigan State away, Purdue away, Iowa at home, Michigan at home. Um, The reason I bring up basically the next eight games is because I think I can make you a a credible case for Indiana winning as many as six of those, if it plays well, coming out the other side of it, eight and six in the conference, that would be 17 and eight overall in perfectly sound NCAA tournament position. I can make a case for Indiana losing six of those games. Absolutely. And coming out the other side of it, basically season over. They'd be 13 and 14 in that situation. Um, and and two and – or four and ten in the conference. Um, as with these things, as these things tend to go – probably somewhere in the middle um but the i guess forgive me that's seven games so my math is all wrong but you under you get my point i can make a case for indiana going five and two in the stretch two and five in the stretch um illinois away michigan state at home minnesota away ohio state at home maryland away purdue and rutgers at home i'll ask you two questions number one what do you think Indiana will do in that stretch? Because I think that if, if – the other reason I kind of cut it off around Rutgers is if Indiana's going to get those guys healthy and they're going to get healthy enough soon enough to make a meaningful impact on this season, it's probably got to be around there. 
Well, you, you get them back a lot later than that, and then it's well, they're you know we're ramping up their minutes, and then it's yeah, but these guys have been in starting roles all you know for two months, so we're not just going to yank them out. So they're going to have to learn how to be bench players. Maybe they make their way back in the starting lineup by the Big Ten tournament, but it's it's all very sort of like do we think we're going to see the, the the old Race Thompson or the old Xavier Johnson again? If they're going to get if they're going to get like just those guys back in their normal season rhythm, not just healthy, but in their normal season rhythm. It's probably got to happen no later than about early February, early mid February. So that that seven game stretch, if if we sort of, if the best case scenario for Indiana is they can get one or both of those guys back, and they've just got to survive those seven games. Number one, how do you think they do? And number two, for lack of a better, a more artful way of asking this, why? Um, I, I'm looking specifically at the Michigan State, Minnesota, Ohio State, Maryland stretch. Those four games here. Um, are probably going to determine whether or not Indiana finishes in the top or the bottom half of the Big Ten. Uh, And I say that because I I, I do think Illinois is going to be a tall challenge for Indiana on the road. Um, But at the back of that seven-game stretch, even though they are home games, you get Purdue followed by Rutgers on a Saturday-Tuesday turnaround. Um, Those are going to be probably your two toughest conference home games of the season, Uh, at least as things look right now. And um, opponents we've seen in Rutgers – uh, you've seen enough tape of Purdue to know that they are formidable. Um, I, I don't know there's a team in the country that really has an answer for Zach Eady, um, but as Purdue has shown, they have plenty enough support around him that they can beat you in a lot of different ways besides just their their giant in the middle. Um, those are going to be tough to hold court at home, and Illinois is going to be extraordinarily tough to win on the road. Uh, if you're looking at, at the prospect of dropping one of those two or maybe both of those home games, heaven forbid, at the end of that stretch, you absolutely have to win games on the road at Maryland. You absolutely have to win uh, probably your most winnable game of the year in conference at Minnesota. Um, anything else on top of that is just going to be icing on the cake. And all that said, you still got to hold court uh, at home against Ohio State uh, and Michigan State, which is you know obviously no small order as well. Um, it's perilous. I, I don't know how else to put it. It's there's a lot of opportunity for Indiana because again they have an they have the chance in that stretch to get themselves back in the top half of the table. Um, they can also fall completely off the charts if if they're not careful. Um, I still, as I said earlier, I have more questions now than I had answers. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be the case as these guys continue to evolve into new roles. Um, and just figuring out who this team is and, and you know what their identity is. Because while we saw uh, a, a, a return to the defense of last year against Wisconsin, I'm still not certain that's going to be sustainable for this team uh, over the course of the season. Um, but I think they're going to have to figure out something that they can hang their hat on uh, if they want to have a chance to, uh, to elevate their situation in the league right now. I think they've got to go four and three. Yeah. In that stretch. Yeah. Um, and I just about think they might. But I think that anything worse than that, and they really are kind of looking down the barrel of it. I think anything less than four and three, and you're back in the situation where now you're staring at the bubble and all the anxiety that brings. And I think you're still staring at the bubble at four and three, but I think you are staring at the bubble optimistically. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the other way around well and the weight that that dread of all the bubble talk i I think that takes a toll on teams it certainly takes toll on fan bases it makes uh it makes things pretty insufferable uh at least from my screen um but i I think you've seen that in years past 
uh, it's just a lot of stress. And you saw an Indiana team that certainly uh, was aware and cognizant and responsive to that that challenge last year, but also basically got to uh, you know got to St. Mary's with a completely empty gas tank. And obviously there were some some exigent circumstances that that led to that with the turnaround coming out of Dayton. But you know we've seen this in Indiana teams. Um, you know, thirteen probably the, the most glaring example. The weight of those expectations, the stresses of the schedule, take a toll on teams. And for a team that's already dealing with injury, um, you've got to have something left. You've got to have some legs uh, come the end of February, beginning of March. And uh, for a, a team like Indiana, they've got to give themselves a little bit of cushion. And it's certainly not going to get uh, get cushiony in in February. So as we said before, you got to make the uh, you got to make some hay while the sun's still shining in January. He's Chronic Hoosier. I'm Zach Osterman. This has been Mind Your Banners for January 18th, 2022. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week, uh, for better or worse, talking about where Indiana stands because they really are living week by week at this point. Um, For the Indianapolis Star, for the Bloomington Herald Times, uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening.